0: Getting Anchored in Jesus, next on Abounding Grace.
1: You see, alcohol will not anchor you to truth. Turning to drugs will not anchor you to truth. Running to a person or another relationship will not anchor you to truth. Now, even running to this building and to this property, well, I pray you'll meet somebody that will point you to the true anchor. A building won't anchor you to truth.
0: This is messing grace. great to be with you today and welcome to Abounding Grace. Find your place in Hebrews chapter 6 as we get ready for another helpful time in the Word with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you've ever been in a storm at sea or don't want your boat to drift all over the lake, you know the importance of an anchor. But today we want to take that picture on into our daily lives. You see, we're bound to face many stormy seas and when we do, we need to turn to Jesus to be our anchor. Nothing else will do. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor to explain from Hebrews chapter 6.
1: Take your Bibles, open them to Hebrews chapter 6 as we finish off the chapter today in our verse by verse study through the book of Hebrews in a Bible study that I've entitled Anchored in Jesus. Anchored in Jesus. Remember, The book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish believers in the first century that are very much tempted to go back to the religious system of Judaism, the worship that centers around the temple, all the formalities, the priesthood, the sacrifices. You see, Judaism taught and teaches even today to look forward to Messiah, to the Savior to come. And Jesus Christ has come, he has fulfilled the law, and everyone that will place their faith in him will be saved. He's the last and once and for all sacrifice for our sins. And they've embraced him. You would say that they are Christians, believers like you and I, but they're tempted. And they're tempted to go backwards. They were taught, as we are, of the soon return of Jesus Christ, but it hadn't happened yet. That combined with the cultural pressures, the family pressures, the the financial pressures, they're looking for a way out. And so Paul, he writes to them and encourages them. This is the big theme of the book of Hebrews, the, the banner over Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is better, or you could even say that he is the best, that there is no substitute, no need to go to the left or to the right, no need to go backwards, cling to him. And so there are a series of warnings that are mentioned And one of the warnings that we learned last time was a warning against laziness. Notice with me in verse 11 of chapter 6. It says, And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and practice inherit the promises. If you haven't already, circle the word sluggish and write next to it slothful. Again, we don't use sluggish or slothful very much, so we use the word that's most familiar to us, and that is laziness. Don't become lazy spiritually. Now, I know that if we were to ask, how many of you think you're lazy, most people would not answer that they're lazy. You wake up early, you go to bed late, you work hard, you're faithful and diligent in the things of life, but that's not the kind of laziness that's mentioned here. The type of laziness that is mentioned here is spiritual laziness. Because the issue that the Hebrew believers, the Jewish believers are facing is very much a similar issue that you and I face. And that is, while we're waiting on the Lord, it's easy to give up and to become lazy spiritually. And he says, don't do that. Show the same diligence to the full assurance so that you don't become lazy, but instead imitate Those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. Imitate those that have gone before us, those that have waited and received strength, those that have waited and received the promise. You see, the temptation in our faith is that when God gives the promise and we respond by faith, we don't persevere, we don't endure, our faith is under attack, we are very impatient. And desiring things to happen now. Even though waiting on God is a part of the Christian life. It's a difficult part. It's very hard to wait when there's seeming silence from heaven. Where God gives the promise, but it doesn't happen right away. You know, this instant gratification isn't just something in our culture. It's been something that's a human condition. Of course, we have our own pressures today. We're, we're used to getting things fast and faster and faster and faster. Efficiency is on the rise. But it's a human condition. And the the example that he uses is somebody that was very well respected, both then and now, but especially to the Jewish believers. Notice in verse 13 now For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I'll multiply you. And so, verse 15, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, that's you and me, by the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it with an oath. So Abraham is used as an example, and he's used as an example of someone that patiently endured. Did you see that? Patiently endured you haven't already again circle that phrase and remember this represents 25 years he patiently endured for 25 years now come back with me to genesis let's read the promise together in genesis chapter 22 where did this promise occur and what happened in abraham's life come back to genesis chapter 22 and let's learn this interaction between god and abraham as god comes to abraham and promises him a tremendous blessing Pick up with me in verse 15, back in Genesis chapter 22, it says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, and if not withheld your son, your only son. And Here's the promise, verse 17. Blessing I will bless you. Multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies... And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's a tremendous promise. Everyone in the world will be blessed because of you, Abraham. That's a huge promise. And it's centered upon the focused promise of God's faithfulness in Abraham's life. God's faithfulness. Because oftentimes when we look at a promise, we sense that, that waiting upon the promise to be fulfilled. And we think that when the promise is fulfilled, that that's where the blessing really is. That is a part of the blessing. But as God is giving the blessing and the promise to Abraham, and I'm going to ask this out loud. I want you to answer out loud, okay? When God has given this promise to Abraham, does God know that it's going to be 25 years until it's fulfilled? Yes. God knows. So there's more to the promise than just the fulfillment. And that is God is promising something great and grand through his life, but he's also promising that the process will be as good as the promise. The process. The process of waiting, enduring, learning, growing, that's just as important as the end result. And I have to say, much of what's promised to Abraham actually isn't going to be experienced by Abraham. It's going to be experienced by generation and generation and generation after him. And so there's a blessing in the process. And part of the process is waiting. There's a blessing in waiting. Haven't we learned that in Isaiah chapter 40? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run And not be weary and they're going to walk and not faint. As we wait on God, remember, we're not just waiting on the promises, but rather we're waiting on the giver of the promise who's described here as someone that has given his word. He's given an oath and I'll bless you and I'll multiply you, Abraham. And it says in verse 15 that he patiently endured. That's the testimony of Abraham's life. Those of you that know Abraham's life, you immediately begin to think about his failures. Like a brother came up after service last night and we're talking about the service and he had a question and it's a question I'm sure that's on some of your minds. Because you think of Abraham and you think, wait a minute, patiently endured, I can think of a couple episodes, especially one in particular, where he wasn't patiently at all. He wasn't patient at all. He took things into his own hands. He listened to the bad counsel of his wife to say, well, just let's fulfill God's promise on our own. You know, I can't have a child, but Hagar, take my handmaid. And Abraham takes Hagar, the handmaid, and Ishmael is born. And Ishmael was not the promise of God. Ishmael was not the promise of God. The promise of God was Isaac that we read of here in Genesis 22. That's the promise of God. And so how can the Bible say that Abraham patiently endured, and yet his life was filled with failure? Which is a great question to ask a couple answers. Number one, when God looks at your life, he sees the work he's done in your life. He doesn't identify you by your failures. I hope you're encouraged by that. (laughs) I hope you're encouraged that you're not remembered by your failures. You're not remembered by that episode that the grace of God brings restoration, reconciliation, and God does a new, fresh work in your life. You're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you and I are known now by our relationship with Jesus Christ as we abide in him. That's good news, church, that you're not remembered by your failures, number one. Number two, which is also equally encouraging, is this. The promises of God do not depend upon your performance. The promises of God are gracious gifts that he gives to us so that even in the midst of your failures, you will not undermine the promises of God. He will keep his word. He he has promised you. He has sealed it with an oath. Because he couldn't swear by anyone else, he is no one greater than God. He swore by himself. He put His stamp of approval that the promises of God in Jesus Christ don't depend upon your performance or your perfection or even your character. The promises of God are in Jesus Christ. They're yes and amen. They depend upon his finished work, that it's not on our shoulders, that God is doing the work in spite of us, not because of us. So then someone might conclude, well, wait a minute, Ed. If the promises of God just depend upon him, and it's his grace gift, then I guess I can pretty much do whatever I want. And I can make any decision. I can even go out and sin and do whatever I want. And if God's gonna keep his promise anyway, listen, the Bible doesn't teach that at any place, anywhere. That question's actually asked in the Bible. You Bible students know Paul asked the question in Romans, shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? And the answer is no, certainly not. And you know, Abraham, he both failed and patiently endured, and paid the price of the consequences of his sin, well, even to this very day, the difficulty and tension between the Jewish people, the children of Isaac, the children of Jacob, children of Abraham, and Ishmael, the tension between the two, they're paying the price for that, even in this very moment. You see, consequences remain consequences delay, consequences hurt. And so there's no permission to continue in sin that grace may abound. But there is that need to patiently endure like Abraham. Abraham was used as an example that God fulfilled his promise. You know, there are a lot of promises in the Bible. I was thinking, you know, as we as followers of Jesus Christ in the new covenant We have more promises than Abraham did. We have more promise to us than Abraham ever knew and ever experienced. So, why aren't we making more progress as a church? Why why is there so much unfaithfulness in the body of Christ today? Why is there so much spiritual sluggishness and slothfulness and laziness among us? I think the answer is very simple we choose not to obey, we choose not to press into the things of God. We have become lazy. And I mean it's the body of Christ. And allow the Holy Spirit to bring it home into your own heart if it's applicable. Like, why isn't that we're not pressing in more? Why isn't that we're we not handling and holding on to the promises of God? The Bible's filled with them. Great and precious promises, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. You know, if you're taking notes, just consider a few of them. In Psalm 50, there's the promise of help. God promises to help you and me. He says in Psalm 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you'll glorify me. How about the promise of comfort in Psalm 27, verse 10? When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Even if you felt the pain of abandonment, God's gonna take care of you. Why? Because he promised it in his word. How about the promise of encouragement? Psalm 138, verse eight. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. How about the promise of forgiveness? Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. You know, each of those promises are repeated again over and over again in the New Testament. They're all yours by faith. They're yours. They're they're keepers. They're to strengthen us and help us and grow us. And on every page, there's a promise from God that's sure, steadfast, and reliable. God gave his promise and he confirmed it with an oath. He put a stamp of approval on it. Notice again in verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, both his character and his word, two immutable things, that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that's set before us. Verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We'll get to Melchizedek in our next study, and you wonder, what is this all about? Well, God, being so gracious, is teaching the Hebrews from the frame of reference of their life. And these things are very vital Coming to us from the Old Testament. Coming to us from temple worship and the Old Covenant. For example, it says in verse 18, it speaks of us fleeing for refuge. Those that have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that's set before us. This is a reference to the cities of refuge mentioned in the Old Testament. You see, among the children of Israel, six cities of refuge were set up so that a person that committed a crime Unwillingly, by accident, like accidental manslaughter perhaps, or something where they've hurt or maimed someone. You know, there would be that instant, immediate desire to get revenge on that person before a trial would ever be set. And if a person committed a crime like that, they could run within the nation of Israel, they could run to a city of refuge. And once they were in the city, they were safe. You couldn't mess with anyone in the city of refuge. Once you were there, you were safe and secure. Until the judges would come, the leaders and the elders would come, and they would pronounce with the facts and the information a judgment on the situation. So if you were in trouble in the Old Testament times, you would run to the city of refuge. That's where you would find peace. But today, he says, with that in their minds, today you no longer run to cities. We don't run to a place for safety. We run to a person. Jesus himself is our place of refuge our place of comfort, our place of consolation. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation because it's a little hard to grasp in the New King James. Listen to Hebrews 6.18 in the New Living. It says, So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, see, we who have fled to him for refuge can take new courage for we can hold on to his promise with confidence. This confidence is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain of heaven into God's inner sanctuary. So, no longer do we run to a place for refuge, a city of refuge, Numbers chapter 35 and Joshua chapter 20, but we run to a person. Isn't it true, though, that it's easy to run to a place or to a thing for refuge these days? It's easy. It's easy to seek that sense of peace, even if temporary, when things are going out of control in our lives. Instead of running to Jesus, the place of refuge, the anchor of our soul. As a pastor, I watch it all the time. Men and women running to and fro. Some people run to the bottle in a time of difficulty. I had a sister come up after service last night and begin to share her story with me of her hitting a real rough patch in her life. I haven't seen her in a while, and so when she came up to me, she introduced herself or shared her name with me, and she says, do you remember me? I said, of course I remember you. I haven't seen you in a while. Where have you been? And that entered into the conversation of where she has been. You see, she had a baby recently, and she started battling with something she'd never experienced before. She started to experience what's known as postpartum depression, and she didn't know what it was. She had never heard of it before and wasn't quite sure how to respond having her child, and and so in the difficult times and in the times of crisis, she recognizes something's not right. She's looking for a place of relief, so she ran to something familiar. She ran to the bottle. And as she begins to drink away some of the difficulties she's experiencing, it has the exact opposite effect on her. You see, those of you that are familiar with alcohol, you know that it is a depressant. That the more you drink the deeper your sorrow gets. And so this postpartum depression, where she had thought she hit a dark patch, she actually hit darker patches, as every time she would drink, it wouldn't solve her problems. Every time she went to the bottle, it got worse and worse. So much so that it snapped inside of her, and she started having out-of-control anxiety attacks. She was out of control, to the point where God finally grabbed her attention it's been many, many weeks now since she's taken a drink and she has fled to a person for refuge. She has found her strength in the Lord. He's become an anchor. You see, alcohol will not anchor you to truth. Turning to drugs will not anchor you to truth. Running to a person or another relationship will not anchor you to truth. Now, even running to this building and to this property, while well, I pray you'll meet somebody that will point you to the true anchor. A building won't anchor you to truth. You have to run to the person, Jesus Christ. You have to choose to run to the one who is your real refuge and consolation. Because there's a lot going on in this room right now. There's a lot going on. People connected to us on the radio, live right now and online. There's a lot of pain in this room right now. You don't see it or feel it unless you're the one in pain. There's a lot of worry here, a lot of anxiety, things outside of your control, not sure what a day will bring, not sure what's going to happen in the morning not sure how this situation will turn out. Waiting for God to fulfill his promise. He's given you a word. He's given you an encouraging word. He's given you a scripture to hold on to. You've memorized it. You wrote it down. You know it. You cling to it. And there you are. You received the promise. And God knows the time of the fulfillment. And you're in the process. And you know as well as I do when things are all Upside down in our lives, and things are just coming against us like a storm. I think this picture of an anchor is a powerful picture, is it not? Because anchors keep ships steady and put. It keeps a ship put in the midst of stormy seas. And the beautiful thing about an anchor is that you just throw it out and it does its job, right? It just takes care of it. You don't have to hold the anchor, you don't have to work it. You just throw it out, it anchors on the bedrock below, and you don't move. And so the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, the hope in his person, when you flee to him for refuge, is an anchor for your soul. It's an anchor for your life. And God has brought you here today to listen to this Bible study, to answer this question. What is anchoring your life? What are you clinging to? And what's clinging to you?
0: We'll allow you to think that question over. What or who is anchoring your life? I hope after listening today, you'll say Jesus. We're enjoying a study in Hebrews here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher on the program, and you can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and also through the Calvary Church app. Check out Ed's blog at EdTaylor.org and look for his podcast, Lead to Serve, on Apple Podcasts. That's Lead The number two, serve. There he discusses the value of servant leadership. Thank you for remembering abounding grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Skip Heitzig's book, How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It. Maybe you're not getting a lot out of your time in the Word these days, or you're unsure how to go about it. Allow Pastor Skip to help you through this wonderful book. To order it today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. If you just like to make a donation to the ministry and not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at aboundinggraceradio.com. We're gathering in person at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, and we'd love to have you join us for a service. To see when and where we meet or to watch our live stream, visit calvaryco.church. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast. We look forward to continuing the journey through Hebrews next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the meantime, let's be drawing on God's abounding grace for daily living. This is amazing grace.